coming at you live from the Capitol. It's Main Street Politics with Rep Bonham. Whoa, whoa, that was new. This was a, this is a new. It's a new dawn and it's a new day here at the Capitol today. We're a couple weeks into the short session, and we've got a very special guest, somebody that uh, is a familiar voice to those of you out there in Radio Land. Representative Bill Post of the Bill Post Radio Show. Defunct. (laughs) Killed by politics. Yeah. How you doing? I'm good. How are you this morning? Excellent. Thanks for coming in. Three cups of coffee. It's finally getting my blood flowing. And for the first time uh, since I can remember this short session, the sun's out. And and, and you are on the side of the building that I started... um, no, my, my second term was on this side of the building because my uh, chief of staff, Betsy Schultz, uh, wanted to have sunshine in the office in the afternoon. And she would sit like a cat on the, on the eve right there and do her work with her laptop because the sun was coming in. And I thought it was too hot. I was dying in here. Yeah. So we're on the other side of the building now. Yeah, I will say this, that this side of the building, uh, it's hard to regulate temperature. Uh, yeah. Especially when the sun's out. Yeah. <laughs> when the sun's beating in that window, it these does. offices get a little bit toasty. Well, yeah, they're old, these buildings. They certainly are. Although this one's not as old as the one in the middle. You know, a lot of people don't know about the, the middle one. You know, it was the 1938, and then they built these wings in, I think, 76, 77, something like that, and then have done some improvements. I was hearing a story the other day from an older uh, legislator, older that's not here, you know, yeah. long gone, and they were telling me about the time when they all were put in room 50 in the main capital one room all the house members had little tiny niches literally with no walls no separators no nothing yeah and everybody was can you imagine the chaos of the noise and no no i mean it's hard enough now especially for the people that you know i would call it out in the bullpen yeah that don't have full walls and doors between each other you know all the staff you know have partitions essentially even today yeah. and between the phones ringing and people coming and going and trying to schedule meetings and trying to get uh representatives as they're coming and going from there it's chaos a lot of the time well, and imagine, now add to that even, so I have a photograph in my office because I love history, and it's a, it's a picture of 1878, the House floor. Right. And they would have committee meetings because there was only the House floor. There were no other buildings or offices. And they would literally, a, a sign would go up on one of the desks, healthcare. And that's where the healthcare committee met at at Bob's desk. I can't you know? even imagine. And, then, can, and the lobbyists were allowed, well, what lobbyists there were then, could come in and sit and join them, and citizens could join them. And it, it, I can't imagine that. So I get curious. I mean, you're talking about the history, and one kind of common theme we've had in almost every one of our shows where we've had an elected representative is, how did you find politics? Well, I've been political my whole life. Um, I, 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 I'll try to tell a, a very long story short. 1968, I'll never forget this. Now, I was only seven, seven and a half years old, I remember being in my dad's 65 Plymouth station wagon, you know, with no seatbelts, of course, and we just rolled around the back seat, my sisters and I, you know, just, anyway. So we were driving along, and I remember stopping, we stopped the light, and I looked up, and I saw this huge billboard, and there was these two just fascinating men on this billboard, pictures of men. I didn't know who they were, I knew nothing about it, but something to me said, they're important, they're, there's something big about that. Well, it was Nixon and Humphrey who were running for the 68 presidential election. And my dad said, well, they're going to be on tonight. And I think it was a debate or something. He said, let's watch it. And I did. And I was hooked. Mm -hmm. I was into politics in 1968. And, of course, that was the year of the massive 
uh, uh, protest at the Chicago 68 uh, Democrat uh, convention. But anyway, so I've always been involved in politics. But to get into politics, into office, I was doing my talk show day in, day out, calling everybody in here thieves and whores and all that sort of thing. You know, (laughs) they're stealing our money. They're all terrible. Republicans, Democrats, they're nothing but dirtbags. And Senator Kim Thatcher, who was then my representative, was on my show every Thursday. Thursdays with Thatcher. We did a regular feature. And she, on the air live, said something along the lines of, is it time for you to put your money where your mouth is? I like that. Oops. (laughs) Yeah, I like that a lot, though. Right? And it worked. Yeah. It worked. I felt very guilty. And she was right. Which I put that same guilt on everybody I know. Um, Okay, you complain a lot. When are you going to step up and do something yourself? And and I finally did. And I... Don't know about you, but I engage in social media, and I love being out there, and I love hearing the feedback and seeing what people have to say. Like, I really genuinely, you know, I try to follow the responses to my posts and see what people uh, have to say about various and sundry topics that I, you know, engage with them on Facebook. Uh, I do have a personal page as well, and there is, of course, some overlap between people not realizing that sometimes I'm just being snarky on my personal page or talking about something that has nothing to do with politics and they still make it political. Um, But uh, do you find that people that you engage with have an interest beyond just wanting to have an opinion or is that kind of where they draw the line? No, you know, I I, I get all kinds. I get all kinds. Um, And and it's interesting, just just to back up there a minute, what you, you talk about and one of the things that I've had a hard time explaining to people about the Facebook thing is, yeah, your your personal, you know, where you post photos of the kids and the dog and the cat and grandma and all that sort of thing. And and so the big thing is that's where you have friends. And the other is you manage a page where you have likes. And I try to separate, just like you described, I try to separate. Over here is, this is my wife and I at dinner last night. Over here is, well, this is me and Daniel Bonham doing a radio show, right. you know. And, and there is a difference between the two, but some people don't get that. That's a great point. Well, I know. Make. I fail on it miserably sometimes too because i in my former just regular facebook page life was political at times and so it does slip back into this is just me posting instead of me speaking on behalf of you know a campaign website that i'm trying to rally support for sometimes i am just simply pontificating or trying to engage people in you know, a thought process of mm-hmm. is this the way we want to solve problems? But uh, well, and that's one of the great advantages of having a, page, a Facebook page, especially for somebody like me who has spent his entire life talking to people. Yeah. Uh, whether it be with to, just before you know the 13 seconds underneath Michael Jackson's Thriller, you know, telling you up coming up next it's Michael Jackson and Thriller, uh, 1983 on KBOY. You know, if it was that, uh, you know, 13 seconds or or a three hour show describing things. How do I turn that? I can't just turn that off. I've been doing it for 40 years. Yeah. My Facebook page is where I can turn it back on again. So I don't just use it for campaign and for uh, legislative stuff. I use it for everything, everything. I may even tell about a great radio show I heard the other day, like uh, Daniel Bonham's podcast or something. Yeah. You know, I don't know. You know. I had a cousin that was doing that? some uh, weather at one point on a TV news station, and I was asking him if he found that when he was out doing the news – if he happened to change his voice when he was oh, presenting the yeah. news. And I heard you just a second ago slip into Bill Post radio voice. Okay. There's an old saying in the business called puking. Okay. Now, nobody does it anymore. It ended sometime around 1992. But when you were in any kind of music format, you were taught, you had to talk like, 
95.5 FM. We're going to have a big time coming up. We've got a big party coming up this Saturday night. You're not going to want to miss it. I'm going to tell you right now. That was called puking. Okay. That was just, that when we all were taught how to do that. And then all of a sudden around 1988 to 90, somewhere in there, some great program director in the sky somewhere said, just use your regular voice. Okay. And it helped guys like me because unlike Representative Carl Wilson, who is blessed with the voice <laughs> of God, literally – yeah, I, I to me always had a high squeaky little voice, and I'd say, "Yeah, this is a great day," you know, and 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 I had a terrible voice for radio, and it was it was freeing for me. You mean I can just talk like normal? Yeah, but you're right. I do sort of drop it down a little bit. Oh, and as talk. soon as I started this podcast, like I felt it. Like all of a sudden, I was really uh, talking in a different <laughs> tone, and I had no idea why. And I don't know. And Carl Wilson does get mentioned a lot because he's in yep. my head. I hear Carl Wilson as I'm talking, and I think, God, I want to sound like Carl, and I oh, just don't, of course. <laughs> and I've known Carl for 30 years because you know, I would cut commercials for his radio station. He'd cut some for mine, or we had you know, stuff that we did back and forth. And every time, it was always, I'd play as, when it was reel-to-reel tape or whether it was digital, yeah. I'd play it, and I'd go, oh, man, why can't I sound like that guy? He was uh, honored he was last night at the Oregon Association of Broadcasters yeah. for giving the Tom McCall Award, which I thought was pretty awesome. Because I do find that every time he stands up on the House floor, one, he's thoughtful, yeah. you know, and, and what he presents normally is is something that you want to hear. But, of course, his voice is so smooth. <laughs> Everybody wants to hear it. You know, it sort of stops the conversation. And, by the way, last night, my one of my radio heroes was honored, Jerry Allen, the voice of the Ducks. Yeah. But not just because he was the voice of the Ducks. As a, as a radio guy myself, every station he listed afterwards and said, well, when I worked at KSOR, when I worked at KJYC – I went, oh, I worked there too. I, I was at that station. Oh, yeah, I was at that station. Right. And it, but I was about 10 years after him. KSOR was a, is a public radio, still on the air. It's a public radio station in, uh, at Southern Oregon State, well, Southern University now, when I was there at Southern Oregon State. And it was how I, I got four credits every term to play jazz on Thursday nights. Yeah. And, and what was interesting, I was doing top 40 radio in Medford in the afternoons. So I was jacked up talking like that, you know, in the afternoon because this is big stuff. And then I would go, good evening. This is Dave Brubeck. And when I did that and I would start getting excited because Dave Brubeck's a really great artist and you're going to really like this song. And I think you're going to and they would come in. If you've ever listened to public radio, you know, everybody talks like they're on Quaaludes. And that's my program director came in and said, dude, do you need to smoke a bowl? <laughs> Mellow out. Interesting. Interesting. I don't know how to do that. Sounds like a conversation for the Economic Development Committee here at the Capitol because yeah. we talk about pot. Oh, um, anyway, so pivoting back to we were talking about social media earlier Sorry, I, and uh, I Facebook. That, you know. And and it's interesting because I do find like I get a pretty broad audience on Facebook. But when I get on Twitter, I feel like I'm only talking to the circle of people that are engaged yeah. here at the Capitol. Like we're only talking to each other on Twitter, like yeah. no one necessarily out there. So. You know, when people start getting political on Twitter, I, I darn near laugh because it's like, okay, you're talking in the bubble, at least here in Oregon. I know other representatives that I've met from, like, training around the states uh, at various times say that, oh, no, Twitter's a great way to reach people. But here in Oregon, it at least feels like it's we're talking to ourselves. No. And then uh, YouTube, though, I, w- I want to hit on this because you've got some wonderful content on YouTube that I think is something that people should pay attention to because it's how to engage with this process. Yeah. You did a couple – so far, I'm sure you'll do more, but the first one, I believe, was how to use OLIS, mm-hmm. which is the Oregon Legislative Information System. Uh, gives people access to all the meetings, all the meeting materials, what we're doing, the schedule for the day, 
And then uh, the second one was on Orstar campaign filings, uh, seeing where the money is, mm-hmm. and I'm missing some things, I'm sure. But talk a little bit about why you felt compelled to do that and to get people uh, paying attention to what we're doing here. Well, again, everything that I do goes back to uh, I, that's what I did on the radio. And, and since I've kind of been, I don't want to make this sound right, shut out of that process, not because it was illegal or I couldn't do it anymore. Um, I, I made, my wife and I made the conscious decision to not do radio while I was in office because, well, frankly, we tried it for a short while and my wife came home the first five nights and said, you know, that, 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 that really sucked. Honey, what do you what do you mean? It's it's the same show I've always done. No, you're being representative post now. You're not being bill post, and there's a difference. So anyway, so yeah. doing the YouTube videos is a way of well, I used to do that on the air. So instead of a 15 minute YouTube video, maybe I did three hours on here. Here, folks, walk with me. This is how Olis works, and and I did that yeah. probably a hundred times on the radio, which obviously you can't see it. So I finally said, you know, maybe I need to do a YouTube video on how to do this. And it took me forever to figure out how to do the camera inside the, the camera thing. I, I, you know, Google is your friend. I love Google. Google's yeah. awesome. And I know it like they're sucking our life away and taking all of our information. But I can Google anything. See, and I, I Googled, used, how do you do the camera in the camera? I would have used YouTube to figure out how to YouTube. Well, it took me to a YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I, I find anything like that that I can do that, that gives people – because you know what? The power is in the information. A- information is power. And, and if you understand this is how this works, oh, that's how a bill comes about, and that's where it goes, and this is where the money comes from, and this is who's giving the money and who's, where they're spending the money. And, of course, as we all know, a certain uh, candidate just recently is in some really deep hot water for how her campaign funds were used. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea that was coming when I did the Orstar video. Yeah. And now the Orstar video is going through the roof with views because people are going, well, let's go look at, let's see what Daniel Bonham's doing or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I We had an uh, interesting tidbit on that. We had a little roadshow that Cliff Benson and I tried to do after the last long session trying to engage people in this carbon discussion. And uh, we had someone stand up in the back of the room and, and call me out personally and say, how much money have you gotten from X, Y, and Z corporation? And interestingly, I knew, you know, we don't get a ton of checks. So, yeah. you know, I kind of remember who does give me a check. And, and especially when they're not massive amounts, like, uh, for example, a $500 check from Union Pacific and a $500 check yeah. from BNSF was her examples that she thought, she was scoring points saying that I was a corporate sellout, that these people were buying uh, influence with me. And I thought it was interesting because at the end of the day, I I think what people don't realize with campaign finance uh, and campaign investment is that for the most part, people are looking at your voting record and seeing whether or not you reflect ideals that they have. And then they support you based on how you voted. They're not necessarily uh, trying to influence the future, which I think that's lost on a lot of people yeah. that people think that people are that those entities are paying for influence as opposed to uh, recognizing values that they want to support. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, I had somebody do a very similar to what you just described to me just yesterday on Facebook. Somebody called me out for and I don't, I don't say I don't know who I won't say who it is, but what the person was, they said, you took a thousand dollars from pharma. 
Yeah. You're evil. Yeah. And I said, do you really think that because I got a $1,000 check from pharma that I'm going to instantly become a pharma robot and do what pharma wants me to do? Yeah. I'm clear with anybody that hands me a check, whether it's Bob giving me his $50 or pharma giving me $1,000. Hey, thanks for the money. I'm still going to vote the way I vote, yeah. and I probably won't vote the way you want me to vote. Yeah, and at the end of the day, uh, we do want to still have the ability to come back here and represent our constituents. Yep. And if someone gives us money that allows us to do that, thank you. Yeah, yeah, thank you. <laughs> so in this job, we don't always get to do fun stuff, right? It is a lot of work, but every once in a while, there's a benefit to being in the building. The other night, I was invited to go because the governor was signing a proclamation at the Blazer game. And I got to go to the Blazer game. <laughs> oh, no. The 50th anniversary. And I'm there at the game. And Bill Post sends me a text message uh, saying, where were you in 1977 <laughs> when I was at game six? Like, I'm the one that should be there. I am the Blazer fan. And where were you? And in fairness, I was not even born yet. No. So that was the answer. Yeah. But uh, I, in turn, though, called you out. Yeah. You know, turnabout is fair play in this game. And yep. I said, do you have any idea how much I love In-N-Out Burger? And I was not invited to opening night, and you were. So you, tell me about that experience. That had to have been fun. It, it was. It, it's interesting. Um, I talked about it on the floor the other day, that In-N-Out is not actually in my district. It's in my town, Kaiser. I mean, it's in the city limits of Kaiser, yet because of the way the line is drawn, it comes down, the line comes down I-5, out HD-25, my district is on the west, and HD-22, uh, Representative Teresa Alonzo Leon's district is on the, on the right over here, and it comes down, but then it makes this weird little circle and goes around Volcano Stadium and Kaiser Station and then circles back on Shamawa and goes across over to her side. It makes no sense. I don't know why they did that because in 2010, there were no houses there. Right. Kaiser Station was being built. The Volcano Stadium was right. there. But apparently, somebody in their wisdom thought it should be. So anyway, that's where in and out is. But from day one, when they first called my office by accident because they too thought it was my district, we're building an in and out I said, it's not in my district. You need to call her. I guess she never responded. So I said, Okay, it's my in and out. And so when it came to the their sort of grand opening, which they don't really do a grand opening, it's fascinating, they just open. They don't announce we're opening next Thursday at 3. They just open one day. But the night before, they sent an email the day before that and said, please don't tell anybody, no social media, nobody, nothing. You and one guest are, are invited to come to this thing. And it was just, it wasn't an opening really. It was just they started serving food. And, and it was cool. And I was, uh, my, uh, I was able to bring actually three people. I brought my wife and my best friend, who's my pastor, and his wife, because they're both in and out fanatics like yeah. I am. And he got the first burger served at Kaiser's In-N-Out, number one. And then I was number three. So it was great. And then, of course, you took pictures of it and posted yeah. it and rubbed it in our faces for those of us that couldn't be there. But so. my truck is always available for anybody in the Capitol <laughs> that wants to go to In-N-Out because I'll do a road trip any day. I am now nine pounds heavier since In-N-Out opened. <laughs> Literally, I've what made a 13 trips. <laughs> yes. So, and I have high blood pressure. I'm going in today for that. So anyway. <laughs> so you've been in the building now for, this is this is your sixth year. We, we, ran we the established math. the math. We ran the yes. math before okay. we got on the air. And uh, the other day in caucus, you mentioned that you've been here for now. This will be the third of the five sessions, the short sessions that have existed. What have you seen change in that time? Um, 
so 2016 was my first short session. That was, let me back up. As, as, as the talk show host, I covered the 2012. That was the first short session. And, and if you go back and even look at the bills and look at what was going on, it was really a true short session. There were some budget bills and some minor tweaks and fixes, and that was it. 2014, it ramped up a little bit. Again, I, I covered it, but I was running for office, so I you know, was a little bit distracted. But 2016 was the first one that just really, it, it went from zero to 100 really fast, the minimum wage battle. Mm-hmm. That was 2016. Yeah. And then 2018 was the same one we're doing this year, cap and trade. Was, yeah. Everything was t- cap and trade. And a lot of other uh, gun bills and a lot of other stuff. So it has ramped up 1,000% to now 2020. And, and I want to give kudos to Dick Hughes, who used to be the editor of the Statesman Journal for many, many right. years. And now he's, you know, he, he got kicked to the curb because of the corporate takeover. And he's doing his own thing now. And he wrote a great article last night that I think everybody should read. It's called Capital Chatter. Yeah. Uh, every, I think every Thursday night it comes out. He wrote about, in, without saying, I'm telling you this or I'm telling you that, very much as an editorial journalist, he wrote about what's going on in this session. And that is, there's not enough time. He took quote after quote after quote from committee chairs, who are on the other team, of course, saying, well, we just don't have enough time. We just don't have enough time. Exactly. We don't have enough time. So, yeah. yeah, that's what I've seen. So um, my other question that we kind of touched on earlier in terms of how you came about having interest in politics and then how that ultimately led to compelling you to run for office. You and I have been out around the state recruiting folks and you're having conversations with people and trying to figure out who out in this state is interested in running for office. Mm -hmm. And, And what, can you kind of talk through that process a little bit, what you run into with people's perceptions of the job and then uh, what p- people's objections are to why they wouldn't run for office, and then what you've heard that's compelling for reasons why someone would run for office. I think the first thing I would say is the, the thing that people ask the most. In fact, I was just asked yesterday. I had a class of fourth graders here, and they asked me, what makes you qualified to be a state representative or state senator? And I said, well, really not a whole lot. I, people have this image that you have to be you know, some – Harvard-educated doctorate of whatever. No, it's a citizen's legislature. It's supposed to be Bill and Bob and Betty and Mary and Sue and just folks. If they've right? listened to this show at all, they should have been <laughs> clued yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. so so I go out and, and I make it very clear, look, there's some constitutional requirements. You have to be 21. You have to be a U.S. citizen. You, you have to live in the district that you want to serve for a year. And outside of that, you know, being alive and breathing is, is always helpful. Um, so outside of that, there's your experience. There's what you need. You need actually a willingness to just say, I don't know, but I'm ready to go learn. And that's probably makes the best candidate of all, you know, but one who is confident in themselves, you know, and, and not afraid to stand in front of people and say some things and perhaps take a little criticism. Um, but, you know, we're looking for people to me that are willing to serve. They're, they're yeah. ready to say what, what I said, and I'm not trying to build myself up, but I, I finally said, yeah, you're right. I should put my money where my mouth is. I've been pretty lippy about that place. Maybe I should go make a difference myself. That's who I'm looking for when I go talk to people. I look for vocal people. Yeah. Okay. Are you ready? You know, but I will be very honest. Um, as you well know, you know, if you're a business person and a younger fellow like yourself, 
and you're just now kind of finally making it and you're kind of getting somewhere to ask somebody to, well, put that on hold for two years, please. Yeah. That's a tough sell. Yeah. And I can't, you know, I can't honestly tell you that our business hasn't suffered for it. You know, Absolutely. when you take the, the chief out of the mix and I've got wonderful staff. They're absolutely competent. They do a good job. But without, you know, that extra person there that's kind of the driving force behind the whole business, it, it does change the dynamic. That said, I can tell you this has been one of the most rewarding experiences of my yeah. life. That was the first conversation I had with John Huffman, who was my predecessor. Mm -hmm. And uh, John was like, why would you want to do this? Like, why would you want to do this job? And uh, part of it for me was I just I didn't see anyone down here that looked like me. That was a small business person that mm -hmm. lived in rural Oregon Very that rare. shared my values, and I thought, yeah. "Wow, you know, maybe maybe I should go do this." I've been interested, you know, to your point, like I've followed politics. I, I find the whole process fascinating, and I thought, "Wow, I could go be a voice for this district and you know work hard for a season in my life, mm -hmm. and then go back to work." And uh, so that's kind of what compelled me, and, and of course, John's response to my explanation of you know, wanting to represent my district, wanting to kind of restore some values that I grew up with here in Oregon that I feel like are getting lost in the shuffle. Um, he said, well, yeah, absolutely go do it because it is the most rewarding job you'll it ever is. have. And, and I found that to be so true. So, you know, as I'm out recruiting people and I do find that people object to the pay, you know, we don't yep. get paid a lot of money and people object to, you know, the criticism. They don't mm -hmm. want to have their name associated with a political ideal or, uh, a political theory even they just they want to still have anonymity in their life and and they don't want to you know take the barrage of criticism and I, I get that too um, but the other one is is just the time commitment I think so many people are intimidated by the time so you know Betsy Johnson had told me when I first ran for office she said you know, if you give this job 20 hours a week, it'll take it. If you give it 40, it'll take it. If you yeah. give it 80, it'll take it. This job just takes what you give it. And uh, do you find that to be true? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, and when I, as you were saying that, I was thinking of a perfect example, and I'd be glad to throw her under the bus this way, Shelly Bosshart Davis. Um, I remember when I was trying really hard to convince her to run because I thought she'd be perfect, yeah. perfect for this job. Well, she owns a trucking company. She owns a farm. She has kids. She has, she has pigs. I mean, she, she has everything going on, right? Yeah. And she kept saying, how would I have the time? And I said, you put in as much as you want to put in. You'll get your committee assignments. If you don't want to do a task force, work group, whatever it might be, you don't. You do what you want to do. And she said, okay, great. That'll work out. Well, of course, we all know Shelly. She can't say no to anything, yeah. and so she's now working you know, 800 hours a week. And, and that, but that's Shelly's. She can cut that back if she wants. And you know we love Shelly, but that that's the point. You, you can put in 20, 40, 60, 80, 100, whatever you want. Um, I'm fortunate in that I have zero to do, and so I just sit around and play on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to ask you a question. Yeah, yeah, please. Because you brought it up. You kind of touched on it. You said for a season. Yeah. For a season. I'm always asked by my people, put it just for lack of a better term, term limits. We had term limits in yeah. the 90s. The voters passed it. The legislature threw it out after all of a sudden Democrats started disappearing <laughs> because they were term limited out. So when they had majority, they took out term limits. Yeah. Do you think we should have term limits or should everybody have a sort of self-imposed term limit in their brain? So my Aunt Margie, who is just an absolute beautiful person, posted this the other day, something on Facebook about term limits. And I, I weighed in this way. I said, okay, the people 
with their vote, can set a term limit on anyone they want. If you take uh, away a person's ability to self-measure what their time in office should be, and and let's just say that we put even an eight-year limit, I'm in year two and I'm still trying to figure this out. Right. How much intellectual property, how much intellectual knowledge left this building, uh, institutional knowledge left this building when we have the turnover that we've seen in the last two years? Right. John Huffman, Mark Johnson, Jody Hack, Cliff Bentz, well, the list goes on. Newt Bueller, Andy, Andy Olson. Olson, Bill yeah. Kenimer, Sal yeah. Esquivel, Gene Wisnett. Like, yep. All those people that had been here for 10-plus years and the knowledge that they took with them, where does that knowledge base yep. then sit? It sits with the lobby. It sits with staff outside of the hands of the elected officials. So I don't believe term limits is the answer. Uh, but I do think that we should all be mindful of, of what our goal is here. I think there's a, a natural process that takes place when you're first elected to any office and you start to say, where could I take this, right? Mm-hmm. What's, the, what's the end game for me personally? And I know I've thought about it, right? I, at different times, I've thought about higher office and I've kind of landed back to not being interested. Like, I really want to do this job to the best that I can. I want to represent my district of 59 and eight or 10 years from now, hopefully turn it over to somebody else. I will tell you, I'm already recruiting for my replacement in my own district because I'm not promised tomorrow. Just like uh, nobody can guarantee that tomorrow's not the day that they leave this earth. So um, I do think it's important that we build a bench in every district, you know, even in districts where we like our current sitting elected officials, we should be out identifying more people to run for office. And if it means that we face primary challenges, I think that's okay. You know, iron polishes iron, and if you've got to justify your votes every session against a competitor, I think that's the way to do it. Uh, But people have to step up. I mean, you've got to have options. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you know, you if you had term limits, you know, where are you going to find that next person? And again, I still think that the voters are the term limit keepers. I agree, one hundred percent. I agree. I just I always wonder if people have that that sort of whatever you want to call it, the magic number. For me. Um, and this isn't necessarily going to be for me, but I think t- I-, I would like to see 12 be a magic number. Yeah. I, you know, I'm sorry. Senator Courtney's been here nearly 40 years, if not 40 years. Right. That's a long time. But I could contrast that against Senator Johnson being here for 20 years. And I can say I'm so thankful for that is true. The 20 years yep. of experience that she has and the wisdom that she brings to this process. Right. So, um, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't, you know, there's no, just 12 seemed to me a, to be a good number because you could, in essence, do three or four terms in the House and maybe one or two terms in the Senate. And and you've done your job. You put your stamp on things and your mark. And, and then it's, ta- the whole idea behind a citizen's legislature is it should be tag, you're it, you're next. Yep. Next next man up, for lack of a better term. And I, I, I'd like to see a little more of that in in this place but you're right you lose the institutional knowledge on the other hand fresh eyes mean everything i mean daniel bonham brought a fresh set of eyes and a fresh set of values that john huffman didn't it didn't mean he was good or bad or anything it just means it's different yeah and i think that was a necessary change i mean in every seat but a value that john and i shared that i know you share as well is uh our faith yep and so i'm curious how you bring those values uh to influence this process and how you approach life in this building? Well, for me, um, man, 
my faith in Christ is what drives everything that I do. Not the stupid things, but the smart things. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think he gives me a latitude on that now and then. Um, but uh, it's everything that I do. Every vote that I take, um, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to go to the, the bracelet WWJD because I actually always thought that was incorrect. What would Jesus do? It was what did Jesus do? And that's how I think is what did Jesus do? You know, uh, he, he died a horrendous death on a cross, nailed into a tree and beaten and to a pulp. I don't think we even know how badly he was beaten because he loved me. He did that. And, and there's a song, you know, I, when you were on the cross, I was on your mind. And, and that's how I think. And if I keep that in the forefront of my thought, then, then I'll vote correctly, I think, always. I'm always thankful for the three days later. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, because it didn't end there. That's right, yeah. and and it's and there's going to be a day when he is going to return in all his glory, and every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Okay, so we're going to pivot to my favorite question. This is how we normally close. All right. What is the one question I didn't ask you that I should have asked? Holy cow. Come on. I mean, you're the radio guy. Like, I know. And you're I'm... so experienced with this. You're like, you've been sitting over there the whole time thinking, I can't believe Bonham hasn't asked me. I honestly don't think that way. I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm the guy that usually, I'm used to being on the other side of the microphone. So I figured it would be, how come Bonham hasn't asked me how awesome the Dodgers are? Well, I mean, that goes without saying. Of course, they just got Mookie Betts and David Price. Come on. <laughs> World Series, here we come. By the way, we won the last three two world series go giants astros and cheating anyway go, go giants yeah okay and then what i have one more question that i normally throw at people it's what have i not asked you and then, oh what would be something that the listeners the captivated audience would mm -hmm. be surprised to hear about you <laughs> um that I am, you know what? Nobody believes me when I say this. I literally am terrified of public speaking. Interesting. Would not have guessed that. That's not on uh, your uh, Wikipedia page. So I would no. not have known that because no. that's where we get our news here. On the I do it. Main Street politics and people page. think I'm warm and fuzzy and, and wow, you just, I, I don't use notes. I don't look down at anything. I just do it. But it's because of being a radio guy who's in a booth with a microphone and nope, there's might be a half a million people listening. I can't see them, so right. I, there's no reaction. It's that looking out and seeing faces looking back at me that freaks me out. So what I do is I have a technique. I'm going to do it right now. I'm talking to you. you. It looks like I'm looking in your eyes, but I'm actually looking right over your head. And yeah. that's what I do with the audience is I look right over their head and I look at something way out there and that's how I talk. I'm so sorry I've been looking at you this whole interview. I know. It's really kind of making me freak out. I have to tell you, in my own studios, I never, when I had a guest, generally, I was turned this way and typing. I would just listen to you and like, yeah, yeah, whatever. The, oh, only, he, uh, the only person that's done that so far was Mike McLean, and it was our first uh, recording that we did. And uh, Mike pivoted and turned to the side in very thoughtful posture, staring off into oblivion as he reminisced on his time in the building <laughs> and unfortunately for us because we were still new with this and learning you know we had tried to say please stay close to the mic yeah it, it created some challenges for us on the back end editing so if you ever go back to listen to that one just know <laughs> that this and for those of you that can't see me bill will just have to attest to how i'm sitting but he sat like this 
<laughs> no, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. No, you do have to eat the microphone. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I yeah. hope the rest of the short session goes well for us. And uh, we'll see where this road takes us. Hashtag walkout. <laughs> and thank you, the listeners, for coming back by again. Main Street Politics. Remember, if you need to get a hold of us here in the office, 503-986-1459. Or our district office is 541-719-8745.